Welcome back to Chatting Rabbis, episode number 44. <clears throat> this is Eliezer Zalmanov in Munster, Indiana, with a very sore throat and a hoarse voice. So please forgive me in advance. Mendy Chetrik in Istanbul, Turkey. Very tired, but no sore throat. And I still have a voice. Um, but I thought you could, like, uh, you know, raise the volume of the microphone. Right, so maybe when we uh, edit the episode, I'll make it sound like I have a very healthy and good voice. My, my editing skills are somewhat limited, but maybe I can pull that off. What's going on? How's your week? Baruch Hashem. I'm here in Turkey, um, traveling, meetings, um, checking factories for Kashrut. I just met today quite a few, uh, uh, went to visit some very old synagogues. Davin Mincha today at the 1800-year-old synagogue. It's the largest synagogue in Turkey in a place called Sardis. Do we ever speak about I it? I think we did. Maybe. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, visited the shul, which is closed down for past 70 years in a city called Kasaba. Um, visited a uh, Jewish cemetery in a city called Akhisar. Visited a mosque and visited with my good friend Imam Osman Demirel of the Akhisar Ulujami Mosque. Spoke to the kids over there. He wanted to introduce to a whole bunch of, you know, like we have in our kids a Talmud Torah, in our shuls a Talmud Torah or a Sunday school, and people can kids come around in the summer to learn some. So he has uh, his, you know, kids from his community come to learn Quran, and he wanted them to meet a rabbi and to hang around with the rabbi a little bit and take pictures with the rabbi, and they really thought it was really cool, uh, taking selfies with the rabbi. And they didn't expect you to have horns or anything. Exactly, and they, uh, you know, it it was actually quite interesting, and you know, see that. Uh, um, it, it's something that, as he says, not saying I don't think he's a very uh, sophisticated philosopher or a theologian, but as he said, I want these kids to know that they could have a conversation with the rabbi, and the rabbi could be at the courtyard of the mosque, and they could play with him and talk to him and take pictures with him, and it's very, very normal. He, that is what he wants to teach them, and I think it's really noble in these day and age. A very commendable attitude. And you don't, you don't, you don't need to be a big philosopher or theologian to come up with that, but you have to have some common sense. Exactly, and especially at time like this. Listen, there was just a, uh, you know, a flare up with this in Israel and Gaza, and I'm sure people will have their opinions and feelings about it, and they're upset about it. And there's always things coming in and out, but he wants, you know, to create certain points in memory in his uh, uh, young students. And there were like 20, 30 of them over there. And, you know, taking pictures and playing, whatever. It was, it was quite interesting, quite commendable. And it's quite, it, it is actually beautiful to see. Let the kids have a positive experience at a young age with people from different backgrounds and different cultures. And uh, maybe there'll be less hatred in the world in the next generation. Exactly. That's exactly what these are the words that he said, and I thought it was really, really nice, a very li- nice thing to to hear, a nice, nice thing to see, nice thing to see. It really definitely changes perceptions, and changing perceptions is important, important for for us. You know, when we we speak about making making the world a better place, one one step at a time. It's definitely a step towards that. And everybody can play a role in it. It's not. And everybody can play a role. You're right. You're right. So today it is the uh, the day that we are recording this uh, this episode. It's gonna come up on Thursday. But today is the was the twelfth of Av, twelfth of Menachem Av. It was the birthday of our grandfather Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch 
And um, I think we spoke about him quite a few times. Yeah, I, I don't think there's an episode that uh, somehow his name doesn't come up one way or another. He play, played a very big role and uh, larger-than-life role in in our upbringing and in, and in molding who we are as individuals. And also uh, instilling some quite some few complexes in our lives. Yeah, life is all about complexes. You know, a little bit here, a little bit for the better, a little bit for the worse. No, nobody's perfect, right? Not even, uh, not even the, the, greatest, the greatest rabbi can uh, claim to be perfect. And uh, even our parents and our grandparents, who, of course, we, we love and we look up to and we hope to emulate them in many ways. Yeah, of course, there were some shortcomings. But why, why focus on the shortcomings? Always uh, focus on the positive and on the good. Of course, especially that, we can't, especially that in this case, we can't really be fully, fully honest. <laughs> you know, it's our grandfather and uh, our parents might listen to this, uh, <laughs> this episode. And right, of course. Even hinting is a little bit, uh, you know, stepping on... Uh, trying to dodge the glass on the floor right but we we're, we're mature enough that you can you can overlook things that uh, perhaps as children uh, were were more were more problematic or at least in our own minds in our childish minds our immature minds but as we grow up and we mature and we we can look back you know you and I being of the older grandchildren of our grandparents probably had more experience with Zayda and learned from him and So today being his uh, 95th birthday, and again, we spoke about him a lot on the podcast, but uh, maybe a little, little bit more, some background. People have, uh, have actually texted me and they say that you speak about your grandfather a lot on your podcast, you speak about your uh, great-grandfather a lot, but uh, maybe give us a little history, a little bit of background, who he was, where he was from, how he ended up being. Who... So I'll tell you the two things that, um, I want to say so, two things that, uh, that affect my life. I'm not so sure, you know, listen. For better or worse, that is what it is. So it uh, affects my life in some, uh, maybe in a complex way, but in a complicated way. It definitely makes me uh, complicated. But um, so there's two, two things, and many more, but I want to just start with two. First of all, um, you know that uh, our, uh, our grandfather, Zayda, he was the first uh, emissary of the Rebbe. Yeah, there were other emissaries that went... By the Friedrich Rebbe, there were other emissaries that went um, while the Rebbe was Rebbe, but that was already arranged from before. But he was uh, handpicked by the Rebbe to be a shaliach, to be an emissary of the Rebbe in Brazil. It took a lot of, uh, a, a lot of convincing, and we spoke about it a little bit when we spoke about Safta. It took a lot of convincing by the Rebbe to convince the family, to convince... Uh, but he was ready to go. He went... And he you know was there for for eight nine years and uh, then they came back they came back because uh, for several reasons um, they came back because uh, apparently they weren't that successful there um, they'd had their individual successes and uh, some people remember fondly what they did but it was uh, depressing they didn't have then that um, social and other things Uh, comfort uh, zone or comforting um, how, how to say it um, you know social surrounding to help them go through a support system uh, difficulties uh, exactly they didn't have the support system and thank you for being such a good support system for my broken <laughs> English so he <laughs> they didn't have that support system and which uh, today we have much more than that. So they left. 
Now the fact that that uh, that they left, and I'm not so sure the Rebbe was very happy with the fact that they left. Uh, it was sort of you know the Rebbe's first shliach and the Rebbe's first shliach is coming back from his shliach. But in between, then uh, many others had been sent out. That's right, but still, it was sort of uh, not a good, not not a, not a very positive thing. Right. And and somehow, first of all, um, sometimes people uh, do make uh, you know poke fun at us about that. Even recently, some Twitter decided that we. That we, um, you know, that we 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 opined about uh, on a certain situation in uh, episode forty-two. That uh, <laughs> the the inf- the infamous infamous episode forty-two that might still uh, make a reappearance. We will come back. We'll come back. That uh, that we spoke about an individual who turned his back on his community and he says, "Oh, it is Hirschel uh, Hitrick's grandchildren are talking about leaving." The thing is that. That uh, yeah, you see it, it. It it irks me. It's still it's something that that is that is bothering right, it, because it's it because yeah we we feel that having uh, being sent out on shlichus is where you're gonna be. It's where you stay. The fact that our grandfather made a different decision and a different choice shouldn't necessarily affect on how a how we operate and b on how we feel and what our opinion is. Yeah, but still, in some some way, it does definitely. It does carry a certain load, you know. You, you feel okay. You move to a place now. You're not gonna move. You're not gonna leave, even if it's so so difficult, because well, your grandfather left. But when they say, "Oh, that's a continuation of the, of the trend." So sometimes peer pressure, sometimes peer pressure, and myoimru uh, abrius. What will others say? Is uh, works to to the benefit of the cause. To the benefit of the cause. To the. To the opposite of the individual. Anyway, but that's one thing that I wanted to bring up. Listen, we said that we're going to be honest and as honest as we can, so we're going to say right. this. Now, this, the other thing is, the other thing is, and that is that has to do with our day-to-day life, is the fact that maybe we mentioned before, but I'll say it again, is the fact that when our grandfather came back uh, from Brazil and he, um, and he settled in New York, within a very, very short time, he became a very successful businessman. And... And we, Baruch Hashem, we lived both me in Israel, you know, in Israel, and you in America. We lived quite a comfortable, uh, you know, not lug- life of luxury, but more comfortable than many of our many of the people around us. Um, eventually, though, um, us we didn't go into business. We chose the path of the rabbinate of shluchis of working for people, and to do that, to get the to get the wagon run, or the car. Uh, driving, and needs fuel. You have to to fundraise and to collect money. And living in such a house of comfort, and our grandfather would never ever dream of 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 asking anybody for a favor for himself. First, because he had, and second, because he was so proud of uh, of himself. His dignity would be complete. You know, he would go starving without asking. He wouldn't ask anybody for anything. It definitely makes uh, makes it first of all because you know when you ask somebody a Lubavitcher and you ask him for a donation he says oh Chitrick needs a donation so what's the difference because my grandfather had had uh, you know was a successful businessman that is why my Chabad house has to suffer right <laughs> what does that yeah. have to do with anything that is that 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 is one thing but uh, so you you are afraid of of the reaction of of other Lubavitchers I would say you you know whether this Chitrick comes from a family that has means and is going is asking for for donations for his chabad house so that's one thing 
and uh, but then also it, it created a certain psyche in my mind that it is very very became very difficult to, for me to to fundraise and that is one of the that's one of the things that the, I don't think I ever ever directly asked somebody for money for for our activities or for our chabadas. I don't think I ever did. I, I've, I've overcome that uh, that mental challenge or that mental block. It's it, you're right. It's 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 difficult. It's not something that we were used to. And I remember when we were uh, when we were younger in in Crown Heights, we used to fundraise for various school projects or for Mitzrayim, for Hanukkah. And my my parents were like so opposed to me going knocking on doors selling raffle tickets, because what do you mean you need you need a hundred dollars for your project? We'll give you a hundred dollars for your project. Why are you going and uh, demeaning yourself by knocking on people's doors and selling them five dollar tickets or two dollar tickets? I remember we, th- there was a, a time when um, Ronald Plurman, I don't know if he maybe still does. He used to uh, he used to you know he promised the Rebbe. That he will uh, daven every pray every Shabbos with a minion. He promised the Rebbe, or he promised Rabbi Shemtov. I think he promised the Rebbe, or he mentioned he mentioned to the Rebbe or something. And he said every every weekend he used to go so he used to go to the Bahamas or to okay, to to somewhere in, in the Caribbean in uh, in the Caribbean. And in order to have a minion, he would take a few uh, students from yeshiva to to have a minion with him. So I remember the first time that I went, my grandfather was so embarrassed. He says, Vos, a ticket for dir to gain? He couldn't fathom the idea that an individual person is going to pay a ticket for his grandson. He want a ticket? Ask me, I'll give you a ticket, and you can go by yourself. Don't ask other people to pay for your tickets. I said, I didn't ask. It's, uh, somebody's offering a ticket to... Uh, you know, I'm 21 years old or 22 years old. And somebody's offering a ticket and a free weekend in a fancy hotel in the Caribbean. So, I mean, I'm not going to turn it down. I'm not going to turn it down. I mean, even if my grandfather is a successful businessman, but I, I still want to go to the Caribbean and he's not going to pay me, uh, you know. So whatever. But it's it's a complex that, that remained with me. And still, I, I have a very, very hard time to overcome that. And that is, it's a problem. You know, when we uh, when we moved out on Shlichus, so today... Um, for many of our listeners who are not uh, regular Lubavitchers, the way it works uh, today, for the most part, is that when a couple decides to move to a certain place on Shlichus, before they actually move out, they spend a few months fundraising either in Crown Heights or wherever it is that they're living and uh, to build up a bit of a, a, a base with seed money so that they can get started without having to hit the ground running as far as fundraising in their local place. Um, when, I, when we went out, this concept was just getting started of fundraising in Crown Heights and, and knocking on doors or making phone calls and trying to uh, make, get appointments with local, local uh, donors in Crown Heights. And part of that was sending out letters and emails. Zayda found out that I was doing that. He found out that I was contacting r- random local people in Crown Heights for $18, $100, $180, all very, uh, very nice, generous donations. And he, he didn't tell this to me directly, but he told my parents that, you know, uh, if Eliezer comes to me and uh, asks to help, I'll, of course, I'll help him too. And I told my parents, oh, I was planning to. I was planning to, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But as, as they say, if good is good, is best and is better. So yes, every, every everything uh, adds up. If you have a uh, you have a little more, never hurt exactly. anyone. If your grandfather's gonna give you a thousand, somebody else give you eighteen. You'll have a thousand eighteen. Exactly. The other person is not gonna give you eighteen. You're only gonna have a thousand. Right. Right. So so yeah, it's it's it's, it's a complex and 
And, you know, sometimes it's difficult to, to even speak about it and to talk about it, but uh, and to even to admit it to yourself. But, um, okay, so uh, we spoke about it in front of a home, a bunch of, uh, <laughs> a few, a couple hundred people, so what? Right. But, you know, he was, he was you know, with, with all of his, uh, his uh, dignity and his, and his uh, can, we, can we call it shtick or hang-ups, um, he, he, he really cared. He cared for his children. He cared for his grandchildren. He wanted all the, only the best for us. And, you know, sometimes with a bit of a, uh, a stick rather than a carrot. And uh, if, he, uh, if he reprimanded us for doing one thing or something or another, or if he told us off, it's all, of course, because he loved us and because he wanted the best for us, right? That's, that's how all parents are. Because the next the the, the, the next uh, minute he would like give you a big hug with tears coming out of his eyes. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and so that was so he would have the the both both of these things. But at this at the same time, and, and that is something that I I really really uh, loved about him. He's a person of the big world. He you know is a traveler when before he had money and traveler after he had money. And he taught us about the world a great, great amount. He loved reading and had a huge collection of, of books. Never walked without having a book. And always all these weird books and weird battles that you had to figure it out. I have a, I have a collection of, of ancient svarim, of ancient books that, uh, that Zayda gave me over the years for various occasions, for my bar mitzvah and for my 18th birthday and for my 20th birthday. And then for my wedding, he gave me a few svarim with an inscription, you know, books that are five, 600 years old that are part of his collection. Right. And I think we all have some of it and some of that. Okay, okay collection fell apart. But... Um, and but we all have some parts of the, of those books of those uh, those things which we were so so treasured for him. And he he used to sit sit with these books, um, you know, over his soup on Friday night, <laughs> these big old books, and uh, and ask us, oh, the Barbanel, look what Barbanel is saying. And then and then he would say that uh, we're we're descendants of the Barbanel, that he was our ancestor. Yeah, I don't think it's true. But why not? It sounded good at the time. It sounded good. I don't I don't think it's true. But you know, why not? You could say that. You can't prove. Maybe you could. Maybe you could do today DNA test and find out if you're descendant of the Babonel or so not. So then maybe we can get that Portuguese citizenship. No, you can't because right now they block. Oh, it. they stopped the process. Yeah, they stopped the process because uh, because some uh, some other Abramowitz has also found out that they're great descendants <laughs> of the Babonel. <laughs> I, I, I was I was this I was this close to trying to get my son Portuguese citizenship because he's going to yeshiva in France and to get a visa to go to France is so complicated. I thought it might be easier for him to just get a your uh, EU passport. Exactly. You should have told him that Babonel was some French or something. He was actually Portuguese. And after he was after he was in Portugal, after he he went to Spain, and from Spain he went back to Portugal. From Portugal he went to Napoli, and Napoli was then under the French. Right. And that's something you learned from Zayda, right? That's uh... <laughs> and that's right. That's something that you that you would learn from Zayda because he uh, definitely was uh, keen on all these historical things. So that's definitely something which. Very important. So yes, definitely he had a lot, a lot of things about about us. Also, a person who, although has been and always was extremely, extremely emotionally devoted Chassid of the Rebbe, um, you know, very, very proud to be a Chassid and very, very proud to be a thing. He also had his own hangups as well, and that's also something that we could say and we should say. He had his own things that uh, that. Uh, Maybe also it comes with, um, you know, comes with the territory. 
exactly it comes with the torture and you should say it listen we, we you know we, we are who we are and that's why um, that's why we're also able to talk about it right maybe it's also part of it because he spoke his mind off and he couldn't care less so it's like group therapy um yeah the problem with group therapy that usually it's very secretive and here we're like spilling all the beans out. <laughs> Well, my, my I, I have a besides of all besides all the other uh, great things that Zayda did for us and for our family uh, financially and many and in many different ways uh, morally and and uh, and religiously um, the the deep uh, debt of gratitude that I have for Zayda was his allowing me to sit with him uh, during the Rebbe's Fabringens for many years. So uh, Zayda would sit uh, among the other older Hasidim behind the Rebbe as opposed to where most of the other Hasidim sat. facing the Rebbe, uh, two rows of older Hasidim. I was six, seven years old, and uh, the Zayda already brought me with him to sit on his lap during, uh, the, during the Fabrengans. There's some videos and pictures of me sitting there uh, behind the Rebbe on Zayda's lap and saying L'chaim to the Rebbe. And um, the other elder Hasidim over there were not very thrilled about it. Some of our uh, great uncles were uh, not only not thrilled about it, but they let it, let it be known that they were not happy with me sitting there. They would pinch me. Yeah, and we actually had, I think, I think three great uncles sitting right, there. Right, and none of them were happy with Or it. Or maybe four, sometimes four. Depending on the generation, on the year. Um, and over, over, over time, Zayda would, uh, you know, as I got older, I would say, sit on the floor, actually, right by the Rebbe's feet, together with other children. And then after I grew out of that, I graduated back, and this was like in 91 and 92, the last two years of the Rebbe's Shabbos Fabrengans, and there was a Fabrengan every Shabbos. I didn't sit on Zayda's lap. I stood on the bench right behind Zayda. Um, if, you, if you're familiar with the, what the area over there looks like, it's right under the window to the ladies' shul. And together with a few other people that uh, over the years we hung out together for, during the Rebbe's Fabrengans. So that's, that's something that I would not have had without the, my grandfather being there and without, him, uh, without it being his makam kavu, his uh, set place, and uh, me being able to tag along and be there for many years uh, during the Rebbe's Fabrengans. I will for, forever be uh, indebted to him for that. Right. And there's so many other things, you know, the fact that, um, okay, we lived in Israel, you were their neighbors, and we, we lived in Israel, um, but, you know, his house is our house. I, uh, as the oldest grandson, I, used to, I spent uh, five years of my life in his house and um, eating supper every, every day at 7 o'clock. At the same table with him and with my great-grandfather, which is also something that we should mention. I think when, when after our great-grandmother, Kayla Hittrick, passed away and he brought uh, his father to his house, think about it. He gave him utmost respect. For 20 years, or more than 20 years, um, his father sat at the head of the table, his father made Kiddush, his father spoke, and he was quiet. It was so opposite of his... Of his character and okay, sometimes he burst out <laughs> but uh, but he he was it was so opposite of his character but the fact that his father was there it was it was like you know it was n- no question that the person the one who's running the Shabbos table was be his father not him it, it's definitely something that we should we could learn right you know it's a kibbutz that is a uh, Definitely unparalleled. We never saw it anywhere else. And uh, I don't know if we're necessarily uh, able to emulate it as well as he did. Um, but, but definitely something to learn. 
Yeah, especially not after uh, last week's uh, episode. <laughs> right. I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you love your father very much, and I'm sure your father loves you very much. Yeah, I just hope he didn't listen to yeah. the episode. I, I think in, in today's day and age also, you know, sitting at the head of the table is not, is not the same uh, honorific as, as it was back then. So, I mean, when my parents come here and we have a Shabbos meal, I sit at the head of the table only because that's just where I sit. But I don't not consider it a, 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 uh, an expression of lack of respect or dignity for my, for my father that he's not sitting at the head table. But Zayda felt that his father had to sit at the head, head of the table, and that's just uh, that's how it was. Right. But uh, we carried this tradition here in, in my house. When my parents or when my father-in-law comes here, they sit at the head of the table. So. Uh, that's, uh, that's impressive. That's impressive. So you, you inherited that more than I did. So, so we celebrated our grandfather's uh, 95th birthday, post-mortem. But what can I tell you? There's a lot to say that we didn't say. Suffice to say that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, you, you mentioned that he was a man of the world. A man of the world, meaning he, he had his hands in many different affairs, um, communal affairs and, uh, in, and intercommunal affairs with other communities uh, and uh, in the business world. And he served as a role model for many people of what a religious Jew could be and should be, even while interacting with the world outside of, their, of our immediate community. So, yeah, definitely a lot to learn. Of course. And... and, and and as he was also uh, traveling the world for his business, everywhere that he went, or many places that he went, he built a mikveh, built a mikveh in Bangkok, and built a mikveh in, in Japan, more than one. Um, you know, was always involved in strengthening Yiddishkeit everywhere he went. That is also something. And he also uh, brought back from Japan the, the love for sushi, before it was popular in the Jewish world, <laughs> before sushi platters were sold anywhere. I thought you were going to mention the... Uh the stones that he collected for the uh, for, for the, to give the Rebbe as a uh, a sample of the twelve stones of the Choshen of the of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol's breastplate that he collected in his travels in the Far East. Right, uh, you know he was a for he was also a collector of many many things. Never threw anything out. A collector of papers, of letters, of people, of uh, of memorabilia, of uh, of books, of stamps, of coins, or whatever it is. <laughs> He, he was a, a collector of, of lots of stuff and, uh, you know, books, magazines. He knew everything about, about lots, of th- lots of things around the world. So, anyway, I definitely do miss him and think about him quite often. Defin- definitely. We definitely miss him and uh, we, we hope to make him proud in, in, our, in the lives that we live here. Yeah, even though he, he said, Ich bin ein Businessman und ich hab 40 Schnorrers. That's life. <laughs> And though that's like really a, a statement that is really, uh, you know. Okay, I still think he's proud of you us. You could hear him say it. Yeah, I still think he's proud of us. Well, you could hear him say yeah, it. For sure. Definitely. Okay. Anyway. Yehi zechra baruch. Amen. L'chaim. L'chaim. I'll see you.